Mother's Day, 1996. Dust off the cobwebs. I was uh, finishing my first year at Central Christian Church in Bristol, Tennessee, in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains, and uh, had two kids then. Beth was pregnant with Jessica to give birth in September, and uh, it was, I, I didn't have any facial hair then. Some of you are like, we wish you didn't now. Um, but I was 33 and, and was leading a church of about 200, which was kind of scary, but, uh, but it worked out okay. Uh, God bless that. But uh, it, it, 20 years, a lot of things can happen in 20 years. A lot has happened. Never imagined I would be here in this place, uh, in the middle of the, our 10th year here, and um, it just is amazing how God works. But I, 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 unfortunately, I want you to think about the last 20 years maybe in a negative light, but I think you need to. Because we've come in our study to the lessons of Joseph, where we're really going to learn from Joseph's brothers today, and not so much Joseph is, we, we hear from him and, and we see him interact, but I really want you to think about Joseph's brothers. You see, uh, 20 years before chapters 42 and 43, uh, they had, because they got sick of their dad always spoiling their little brother and, and always thinking he was the best, uh, they were out one day with the flocks and, and they just had enough. And they threw their brother into a, a cistern, the Bible says, and, and they were going to leave him there to die until some slave traders came by. And, and instead of leaving him to die, they got some money for him and sold him. Cruelly, the Bible says, while they were, he was down there in the cistern screaming and pleading for help that they sat down and ate their meal, uh, probably laughing and joking, thinking they had gotten rid of their problem. Well, as Joseph was sold and disappeared off into the distance with the slave trader's caravan, they thought that their problem was dealt with. And then for 20 years, that past stayed in their subconscious. It stayed buried. You see, what I need to tell you today is is that the past does not stay buried. You may do what you can, but if you make mistakes, and I've made mistakes in the last 20 years, if you've made mistakes, understand this, the Bible tells us over and over in different places that, that you will have to deal with that past, that whatsoever a person sows, they shall reap. The Old Testament time, it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but we need to realize that that we've got to deal with that past. We can deal with it now, or we can deal with it later, but we will deal with it. Just like if you defer the maintenance on your car, you can deal with it now, or you probably pay a lot more later if it's not completely kaput. So the things that we've done, that are sins against God, that are sins against others, we have to deal with them. And, and the way God it makes us as humans is he gives us a thing called the conscience. He gives us a conscience that I think spurs us, that can activate us, not to, to act as if those bad things we did didn't exist, but, but that can cause us to deal with those 
uh, things, those sins. But we can turn that conscience off at least for a little while. Mark Twain said, a clear conscience is a sure sign of a bad memory. And maybe it is that we choose not to remember. But we'll see today that Joseph's brothers are forced to remember. And I can't tell you how and when it will happen to you, but you perhaps will be forced to remember. So why not let's let God work in us today? Why not let's let God prepare us for the next 20 years by by helping us to deal with the baggage from the past? You can't change the past, but you can deal with it. And I'll give you ways to do that as we get close to the end here. But the first thing I want to show you in chapters 42 and 43, and we're not going to read all the verses. Uh, You might read them this week in your devotional time. But the first thing I want you to see here, there are four tests in these verses to challenge the conscience of Joseph's brothers. There are four tests that challenge the conscience. And I think these same kind of uh, consequences happen to us today that can cause us to have to deal with whatever it is we're trying to bury, trying to forget, trying to get past. First is the loss of prosperity, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, remember, they are now in the midst of this great famine that we talked about last week. Pharaoh had these weird dreams, and and Joseph was able to interpret them and said there would be seven great years in Egypt, and there would be seven years of famine. Well, the seven great years have happened, and now it's year two of the seven years of famine, it's reached all over the Mediterranean region. And so Jacob and his family are in a bad way. Remember, this is an agrarian society. That is, they didn't have grocery stores. They didn't have uh, these ways of developing food delivery systems like we do today. If they had a bad harvest, uh, people's very lives could be at stake. He said to his son, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I've heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. Remember, there are 12 brothers altogether, Joseph being one of them. And then there's the youngest, Benjamin. We'll hear more about him, and we hear about him right here. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brothers, with the others, because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons, remember Jacob had that name that was, uh, he had two names, really. He was sometimes called Israel and sometimes called Jacob. But Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. A loss of prosperity. Uh, Oftentimes our choices uh, to not do the things God wants us to do uh, or to to fail uh, or to do things God doesn't want us to do, those things, they can cause us to, to have negative consequences financially. Oftentimes that happens here you see, God has caused uh, this family. He, God is in providentially in control, and, and he's bringing about this point where now Joseph's brothers have to go to Egypt. Now, they don't recognize at this point that this is going to be a, a moment of reckoning for them. But God is working in that. Remember last week, we talked about the sovereignty of God, uh, how God is in control, uh, how God works in mysterious ways, often behind the scenes, to bring about his will, uh, to bring about his dealing in our own lives with our conscience, with our past, how he brings us, hopefully, to confession 
and repentance to reconciliation and redemption. Here, that's happening, though they don't know it at that time. The second test that challenges the conscience is negative interaction. This is in verses 6 through 14. Now, Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all of its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to where the land is unprotected. No, my Lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. And no, he said to them, You have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, Your servants were twelve brothers, the sons of one man, who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. The one who is no more was Joseph. Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you are spies. See, he's dealing with them in a negative way, a harsh way, you might say. Why does he not identify himself? More on that later. But you just need to understand that, that oftentimes our sins and the dealing with them, we may try to bury them, but, but they don't go away. You know, the Chiefs drafted a fifth-round draft pick this year in the draft last weekend, and the newspaper, particularly the sports page, has been full of talking about how they could have drafted this guy. Tyreek Hill is his name. Uh, Tyreek Hill in 2014 uh, was involved in some domestic abuse of his girlfriend who was pregnant. And it seems for a while... Uh, Tyreek Hill tried to, to, to kind of get by that and, and not deal with that. But because of a lot of negative and hostile interaction from others, he now is dealing with it. And at least uh, dealing with it, I think, in positive ways right now. Perhaps I hope uh, that he can learn from that and grow from that. But I, I want to share that. I share that illustration to say uh, that oftentimes those negative interactions can can stir our conscience, that they, they can move us to not uh, look past our past, not to, to ignore our past, to forget our past, but to deal with it. The third test we see here that challenges the conscience is imprisonment, verses 15 through 17. And this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison, so that your words may be tested to see if you're telling the truth. <clears throat> they are kept in prison for three days. Now, that might seem short term, but in those days in prison, I have no doubt, and we'll see this directly stated in a few minutes, uh, a few verses down. We, we see that they are remembering that decision to sell their brother, those negative, violent feelings they had toward Joseph. They're remembering that, and, and now they're beginning to deal with that. Negative consequences often lead to reckoning. It's why if we're parents and we love our kids, uh, when they do things that, that aren't wise, they do things that aren't good, 
We discipline them. We love them by disciplining them uh, to bring about, hopefully, a change of heart. Here now, for this case imprisonment, there are other consequences that come, that can challenge, that can stir our conscience. In this case, it is that momentary or temporary imprisonment. And then the fourth test, and probably the one that maybe can move us more than any of those others, is the impact on loved ones. The impact on loved ones of our past decisions, our past mistakes. Beginning verse 18. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you're honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison, while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. Talking about Joseph. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. You see, they understand what they have sown is now coming back on them. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen? Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them again to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. So now they've left Simeon in this place. So they have to go back and tell their father that. And we read in verse 36... Their father Jacob said to them, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin. Because that's what the prime minister of Egypt, unbeknownst to them, their brother Joseph had asked for, for Benjamin to be brought back, and then he would uh, give them Simeon. And now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. So this fateful decision of the ten brothers uh, to sell their, their brother Joseph now is coming to bear on their father. Their father's distraught. And potentially, there can be a loss of more of the family ties. If for no other reason, it's important for us to deal with our past uh, so that uh, just as lancing a boil uh, so just as putting hydrogen peroxide on a cut, uh, just as we deal with those kind of injuries by, by addressing them and, and pouring antiseptic into them and taking care of them, so we need to do that with those things that weigh us down, those things in our past that we have uh, conscience bedeviling us for. So with that said, perhaps now you are thinking about some of those things. Perhaps they're not so far in the past. Maybe they've happened in this past week or this past month or this past year. How do you deal with the conscience? How do you respond to the conscience? What is the biblical pattern for dealing with the sins that we've committed against God, the sins that we've committed against others? I think you have three steps here, three ways to respond to the conscience. First, confession of sin. It's important to confess. You know, Tyreek Hill, I was talking about 
Last week, right after he was drafted, he gave this kind of incoherent response that indicated he hadn't really accepted the responsibility for his, his actions against his pregnant girlfriend. But uh, yesterday, as the rookie minicamp began, he, he did what he needed to do. He said, it was my fault, I take the blame, I own it. Friends, we all have to get to that point where we own our sin, where we are not running or making excuses for it, where we're not uh, waffling about it. We need to own it. Look what happens here in verse 21. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. You know, the problem with the Bible sometimes is we don't know uh, all the conversations that aren't written down. I, I wonder over these 20 years if the brothers ever spoke about what they did to Joseph. But I can tell you now they're dealing with it. You see this and they're understanding, they're owning their sinfulness. It's important for us, whether we are not a Christian yet, or it's important for us if we still are Christians because Even though we've given our life to Christ, we still sin. It's important for us to get in the habit of thinking about our lives in God's terms, in God's sight, and confessing when we fall short, confessing our sins before him. You see, I believe a part of our prayer life every day should be confession of sin. But let me say to you, if you aren't a Christian today, if you haven't made that decision, uh, becoming a Christian starts with understanding that you've sinned against God and you confessing that sin, you owning that sin. The Bible says, God, if we confess our sins, it's faithful and just to forgive them. So whether we're doing that for the first time to become a Christian or whether we're doing that in our own prayer lives or or we're doing that in our interaction with those people perhaps that we've hurt, Confess that sin, and the Bible says that God is faithful and just to forgive. Confession of sin is the first step. The second step is recognition of God's reality. Recognition of God's reality. What do I mean by that? I think so oftentimes we can think about our life separate from God. Because God doesn't zap us right away when we do something wrong, But because the consequences of our sin, often there's a great gap of time between the action and the consequence. We can live our life kind of ignorant. It's ignoring what God is about and what God's doing. But the Bible tells us that God is over all and through all and in all. What I think the Bible is saying to us is that God knows all. You might think you fooled everybody. But be be not deceived. God will not be mocked. He knows the heart. And he knows what we are doing. He knows what we've done. He knows what we need to do. Look at what verse 28 says. My silver has been returned. Now here's the weird part of this story. So the brothers, they got the grain that they wanted. But Joseph said to his servants, and when they're away, when they're not looking, take the money they've paid for this grain and put it back in their sacks. And so now they're traveling on the road back to uh, home, back to Israel, and <laughs> now they look in their sacks, 
And, and the silver that they paid to the Egyptian government is now back in their sacks. Here it is in my sack. Uh, their hearts sank and they turned to each other trembling and said, what is this God has done to us? You remember their brother Simeon's back there and, and they've got the silver in their sack. So it looks like they stole the grain and took, or because they took their money back. They didn't pay for it. And they know to get their brother Simeon back, uh, they're going to have to take their youngest brother Benjamin back. And they're frantic. They're terrified. They see that God knows what the heart has done. And there is always a reckoning. There's always judgment day. See, we can make like God is not in control, but, but there always is a judgment day. Third, we repent of that sin and we live in repentance. That's how we deal with it. We live in repentance. I often say that when we are truly sorry, when we truly confess our sin, when we truly repent, that means we'll reproduce the fruit of repentance. You see here several actions to show that Joseph's brothers have truly confessed and truly repented, that they are acting upon this stirred conscience and they're going to do something about it. First, you see honesty, verses 6 and 7. Honesty. Israel asked, why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? They replied, the man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living, he asked us. Do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How, to, how were we to know he would say, bring your brother down here? They could have said, we don't have another brother, but they were honest. You see, they were determined to learn from those past mistakes because they had told their father not that they sold their brother Joseph into slavery, but that he was attacked by a wild animal. Now they were being honest. They changed their ways. Secondly, you see sacrifice in the response now of the brothers. In verse 37, then Reuben said to his father, you may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you, Benjamin. Entrust him to my care and I'll bring him back. So he's willing to give up his own two sons. If he doesn't bring his brother back, that's sacrifice. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 43, verses 8 through 10. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me, and we will go at once. He's talking about Benjamin again. Send Benjamin along with me, so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him if I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you. I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. You see, there was a, a window of time where Jacob wouldn't let them go. But you know, Judas, Judah is willing to take all of the responsibility for taking his brother Benjamin. That's sacrifice. And then we see restitution, uh, verses 19 through 23 of chapter 43. So they went up to Joseph's steward and spoke to him at the entrance to the house. Let's see the verse. We beg your pardon, our Lord, they said. We came down here the first time to buy food. But at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks, and each of us found his silver, the exact weight in the mouth of his sack. And so we brought it back with us. We have also brought additional silver with us to buy food. We don't know who put our silver in our sacks. It's all right, he said. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. 
I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Important to see here, these brothers of 20 years later, these, rest, these repentant brothers, they take that money. Uh, some of them might have thought this. I don't know. They might have been tempted to, to keep the money, but no, they bring it back. They want to make it right. So it is that we see this pattern over and over in Scripture. If you've sinned against God, if you've sinned against another, confess, repent, make restitution. So, as we think about these words today, I have two questions for you. First, what what do you do if somebody has sinned against you, somebody's hurt you? Do you force them to confess? Do you force them through repentance? You might try. But I don't know that it works that way. Why is it that Joseph didn't identify himself? You see, Joseph could have had a business transaction with his brothers. He could have said, okay, I'll take your money. Here's your grain. Be gone. But the reason Joseph interacted with them the way he did, the reason he kept their brother Simeon, his brother Simeon, the reason he did all of this was to try to create the conditions for in the goodness of time for repentance to happen, reconciliation to happen. And that is God's way. God's preference is always not that we stay divided, that we hold grudges, but that we reconcile if both parties are willing. If the confession, true confession, true repentance takes place, God wishes for that to happen. But understand this, you can't force it to happen if you're the wronged party. My advice to you is to do the same thing that Joseph did. He continued to be faithful to God. He continued to sow godly seed. He continued to be fruitful for God, bloom where he was planted. And in the fullness of time, there came about the situation as God brought it about where there could be reconciliation. Chapter 43 ends with all the brothers together having a banquet together. And it's a beautiful scene, a joyful scene. And you know, Benjamin gets five times the amount of the food than the other brothers do. But these brothers who have grown up, who've grown more faithful in 20 years, they're not jealous of Benjamin, even though he gets more than they do. Reconciliation can happen. And then the second question is this, and maybe this is the one that's more pointed, more apt, more difficult to deal with today. What do you do if you know in your past you've sinned against God, you've sinned against others. The question's a hard one to hear, but the response would be the same I've already outlined for you. Confess to God and to that person. Repent and produce the fruit of repentance. And as necessary, bring restitution. And pray that God's reconciliation will take care of of that. It will happen. And God will be glorified. Father, as we think about these things today, I pray that you've been working on us. We've been thinking about our past. If there are unresolved issues, I pray that you've been helping us to see. We need to first get right with you about it. 
And then we need to initiate a reconciliation process with others that we've hurt. Pray, Father, you'll lead us in this. You'll give us courage. You'll give us boldness. I know it's not easy to deal with our mistakes. But I pray you'll spur us on. That we'll deal with this now and not wait to deal with it later. I pray in Jesus' name.